Hello. Uh, it was a close call there. I was about to do an Alice Cooper impersonation and go with my intro that way, but I realised I'd look probably a little bit more like Garth Elgar with my yellow hair up here. So good evening and welcome to the Australian Centre for the Moving Image and to Live in the Studio, where once a month we revel in all things TV, past and present. For those of you listening to the podcast, we're here at Acme with a sold-out live studio audience. It's a rainy Thursday evening, August 26, 2010. Tonight we are joined by the Rage Producer Programmer team from Sydney, Sophie Zollner and Madeline Palmer, and from Melbourne, award-winning director and producer Sarah-Jane Willihan and comedian and documentarian John Safran. I'm sure everyone in the room tonight has their own Rage stories. Who hasn't eaten a cheese toasty to its flicker at 4am? It's a program that has spanned generations, and I mean this in the most sincere and least corny way possible when I say it has provided the soundtrack to many of our lives. From the discovering and rediscovering of music and film clips, the suffering of insomnia, staying up late and coming home early. Beyond the music, the rage time slot signifies the weekend, and when it's over... It's time to go to bed or start the day. I would like to warmly welcome and introduce to you our speakers for the evening. Sophie Zollner is producer and programmer for Rage. She is on the end here. Sophie has been working on the program since returning from a stint overseas in early 2009 and has previously worked on other productions including The Hack Half Hour, ABC2 Live Presents series and Go Go Stop. Please welcome Sophie. Madeline Palmer, next to Sophie, has been with the ABC for four years, with her first two years with Triple J TV. She has been Rage producer and programmer for two years and has also presented her own thriving music show on Sydney local radio. Please welcome Madeline. Sarah Jane, right up the end. Uh, is an award-winning director and producer of short drama and comedy, music video, documentary and new media. She's known for her unique and flamboyant vision, unconventional production methods and ability to produce content that crosses art practices and platforms. She has directed music videos for Silverchair, Missy Higgins, The Sleepy Jackson and The Living End. Her satirical television series Fall on Gaze which first featured on JTV, was nominated for an AFI in Screen Content Innovation in 2009 for its groundbreaking use of multi-platform narrative. Please welcome Sarah Jane. Now, aside from the fact uh, that he's sitting in front of us, I'd like to take a more sale of the century style approach as his career highlights lend itself to the form so nicely. Who am I? I put a voodoo hex on my ex-girlfriend in Africa and have shown you how to break into Disneyland. I have filmed cooking segments in a slaughterhouse and was involved in what can be best described as a hands-on fight with Ray Martin. Soon after, I formed Jewish boy band Jewtown. I have won multiple Australian Film Industry Awards and been nominated for Logies. Most recently, you might have seen me on the small screen pashing on with a number of different women in the name of research. I host a weekly radio show on Triple J with Father Bob Maguire. I am John Safran. Please welcome our panel this evening. Okay. Since the 
first rage screen hit TV screens across Australia in April 1987, Rage has been on your television every single weekend and is one of the longest running video shows in the world, having broadcast over 17,000 hours of music television. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> the first ever clip shown on Rage was Widow Libido by the Lime Spiders, and that was followed by the oft-requested Fight for Your Right to Party by the Beastie Boys. Rage was the brainchild of producer Mark Fitzgerald, um, who we often refer to as the godfather of Rage. We've got an interview with him now from the 20th anniversary, which we'd like to show you. I came up with the side of the Rage to impute. Rage wasn't going to be interrupted. It wasn't going to be interrupted by commercials. It wasn't going to be interrupted by compare. It was going to be unrelenting. The head of entertainment went to the ABC board, and just before he saw the board, he rang me up, and I think his exact words were that he couldn't go before the ABC board and try and spruik for a show called Rage Till You Puke. So, um, yeah, it became Rage. The only bit of puke that remains is the Rage logo, which, if you actually have a good look at the colours inside the logo, it's the closest thing to vomit on Australian television. I wanted some titles that were going to be annoying. <laughs> Something that was going to be extremely noisy. <laughs> the Iggy Pop version of Real Wild Child was a contemporary sound for the time. It had been written by Johnny O'Keefe, so it still had an Australian reference to it. The soundtrack was produced and mixed at the ABC radio studios at Forbes Street by Keith Walker. And we just booked a session singer and uh, I demonstrated the scream that we required. And I think she took about 15 minutes to get over the shock of, uh, of the scream, but eventually she got into it with great gusto. So between the two of us, we just kept screaming for a while. Then Keith and I went up to the control room and basically I had control of a couple of quarter-inch machines and Keith had a sampler and uh, we just mixed. Now there's two ways you can do rage. You can go rage or you can go rage! I think it's great that it never changed that. The associates got asked to do a, re a new one of that and we refused because we were like, no, you've, you've nailed it. Well, no, there's no... There's no way. Is it an Iggy Pop song or something? Yeah, there's no way. No one can ever replace that. You're not gonna. You can't revamp it. Mm. You can't do it with it. It just. Twenty years. Twenty years, Come mate. On. You know, where's the sentimentality, man? <laughs> maybe twenty years is. Maybe it is time. Maybe it's not get time. Some, get a new one for the next twenty. I can do a new one right now if you want. Go for it. <sighs> Rage. Rage. <laughs> rage. R -r 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 rage. <laughs> rage. Great. So tonight we'll delve into the behind the scenes workings of Rage and revel in the magic and genius that is the music video. First up, I'll give you a sneak peek at behind the door of the Rage offices. Then Sarah Jane Wilhelm will talk about making a video clip from conception to creation. <coughs> Following that, Maddie Palmer will talk about all things guest programmer and recent guest programmer John Saffron will talk about how he made his hilarious mock you video clips. 
and we can pick his brain about that a bit later. And we'll finish off with a few retro treats and a Q&A. Um, we've got a few photos of the RAGE offices if you've ever wondered what it looks like inside. <laughs> this, is our, this is our vault. So um, behind the door of the RAGE offices, RAGE is pretty different from most other TV shows in that we've been running in largely the same way for the last 23 years. That includes still using floppy disks. <laughs> we work on a one-week turnaround every week of the year. Rage never rests. There was even a period, I think, in the early 90s when uh, we couldn't play a lot of major label clips, but we just played all independent clips. And um, our technical producer thinks that this could be responsible for Australia's thriving independent music scene. I don't know. Could be. <laughs> Um, on an average week at Rage, we'll spend Monday and Tuesday receiving new clips, meeting with record um, company reps, researching for specials and shooting guest programmers. Wednesday is all about viewing. Um, we receive between 30 and 60 clips a week and we watch every single one of them. We have to classify them, check them for any editorial policy issues and then of course program them. Um, a big part of Rage is maintaining our, our huge library. It's got 30,000 clips plus, it's growing of course every week. Um, and we need to make sure that we can find information about each clip in an easy way that previous producers have passed on through, through our program called Rage Pals. Um, so a lot of Rage is actually a database, um, which isn't too sexy, but it's really important. It's a cool database. <laughs> it's a very cool database, so maintaining it is a, is a big job. Um, currently, all of the Rage library is kept and stored on tapes um, in the ABC archives, which we've just, oh, we had photos of just before. Um, and this is changing as television starts to go digital. Um, and more and more programs are being kept and stored as digital files, not on actual tape. But because of the way Rage is made, this whole process is gonna be quite um, a, a big job. And um, it's something that we're all working on at the moment and thinking really hard about. So it, it, it'll be a slow process. So for the time being, um, Rage is being made live on the night um, from tape using a machine we call the LMS. That was it just then? That was it. But now that's just tape <laughs> it has LMS and lots of stickers from previous technical producers and P plates and all kinds of things stuck all over it. Um, but it's basically how our show is made. Um, it's a pretty important machine and um, it's maintained and our clips and our library are, are quality checked and, and all operated by our technical producers. Um, so they're the people responsible for, for what you see when you turn on the TV, or maybe more correctly for what you don't see, which is any kind of glitches or problems which can and, and sometimes do occur if a, a show is being made live on the night from a pretty old machine, jamming in tapes and queuing each one. So we're pretty proud when a, when a show goes to air, just because it's a bit of an effort. <laughs> it happened at all. <laughs> um, one of the really special things about Rage is that we play not only major label clips, but also a lot of really of independent clips which um, wouldn't have seen the light of day possibly on, on other shows. Um, for many Australian bands, getting their clip played on Rage is a major milestone in their career and um, a lot of groups that are quite large now, you'll find out that the first time they ever appeared on TV was on Rage, so that's something that we can all be pretty proud of. Um, what indie clips prove week in, week out is that you don't need loads of money to make a great video clip. You just need to have um, a lot of imagination or, or a great narrative. Um, a clip could be shot in your backyard and be really funny or it could be just a really simple idea executed perfectly. So 
um, we really like that we are a space that all of these, all kinds of clips can be shown um, to everyone around Australia. And so we've kind of picked a few recent indie clips that we thought were pr pretty special, either because they're hypnotically beautiful or they were just really funny. Um, and we'd like to play little snippets of them for you now. <coughs> laughing at me
Um, well, yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Sophie and Madeline. Um, I definitely have fond uh, memories of Rage. Uh, the very first clip that uh, I made was for George, Polly, Serena, and I remember the whole crew and everyone getting in the living room and just waiting for the moment it would play. It was the, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, so I've been making film clips for about, I guess, about 10 years. I, uh, in Brisbane, I had a company called Square Films, which I, which I ran with my collaborator, Sean Gilligan. And in that time, I think we made maybe over 60 videos and I definitely was extremely addicted, addicted to them. And, and I think what I wanted to talk about first was just what makes uh, music videos really quite different to uh, any other type of video for a filmmaker because they, they're kind of a bit special. And there's a, I guess a few reasons for that. One, like one that there's just so much freedom. Like if you think about the form, it's essentially, it's two to four minutes, but it can be just about anything. Like you can, it can be like a doco, it can be like a comedy, it can be like a sketch or a prank. You could have crazy art department or, I know just, it's, it's pretty, as wild as your imagination can be. And the only constraint is sometimes, yeah, you have to have some singing in it or the band <laughs> playing or that kind of thing. But yeah, it's just, it's really open. I think that's really exciting for filmmakers. Um, but not just, um, yeah, or not just even like in what you're making, but also the technique. So every time you make a video, you can try different camera or editing or lots of different styles. And just most things are, are more restrictive than that. Um, also, just the fact that you get a budget is pretty amazing. Like obviously, you can short films are like are really are open, but here there's people giving you money is actually to make some cool things. So that's like exciting, obviously, for filmmakers as well. And an audience, so like a place like Rage is always going to play your your clips. So um, essentially, you know that you're, the thing that you're making can be reach people. It's going to have to be nationally broadcasted, which is um, really exciting. And also, when you find your clips playing at McDonald's or at Myers or in train stations on planes, and pretty much like more than any other product, you know that it's actually getting out to people. Um, and the other thing I think that's um, really different I guess about film clips is the time because they just they're really really intense production so some like a lot of those things that we just played then they might have a lifespan of, of three weeks to four weeks at the very most so you're literally coming up with the idea organizing making it editing and seeing it on TV within sort of three weeks and so it has a really um, intense rush where something like a short film you may spend a year or a feature film you spend seven years making it happen so that can be really exciting um, and also that you most of them are only shot on one day so um, it's just like a, a, a really creative intense experience to sort of make it happen um, so what I, I thought I'd play one full clip so I could sort of talk about the process of making that um, which is the Sleepy Jackson God Lead Your Soul and for me that one was just it's pretty um, it's one of my favorites I think because of the process of um, coming up with the idea and making it was um, just was really creative. I think we, from the idea to the shoot was only one week and um, I'll just play it and then I can talk a bit more about it.
Um, yeah, so that clip, um, it's um, obviously Sleepy Jackson with Luke Steele and uh, at the time like we'd been making a lot of clips for EMI so they asked us to, um, to make it for them. Um, I, I think I originally wrote a treatment that was, well, that's the first stage I guess to write a treatment of the idea um, and the, the original one was like a puppet one that was a little bit like that Bob Evans one um, that you uh, saw earlier. Um, and. Um, yeah, Luke didn't like it, so um, and which, which is some, sometimes part of the process. Like you just sort of, you're really pulling ideas out of the air and trying to find out, um, you know, what he'd be into. And so he didn't like that. So we, I remember speaking to him, and he um, gave some re very intense ideas about girls riding snails and, like, <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah, you can imagine. But and I guess just from that conversation, you kind of get a sense of the scale or the type of. Um, video that might be after so at the same time so literally the shoot is booked to happen a, in a week week's time um, but in Brisbane friends of mine were running a, a festival called the other film fest um, which is an experimental um, festival uh, and looking at expanded cinema so I had spent three days watching people perform with um, with film and with projectors and um, looking at cinema in different ways so I guess um, when it came to write the treatment it, it became about a crazy projectionist performing what I guess what it is meant to be performing the creation of the world so as you can see all the stock footage of the it starts with the Big Bang and um, yeah so that that's um, like so, uh, literally uh, on the at that festival on that weekend the following weekend we're in that world shooting the um, that film so in that week um, what, what, you, what we had to get Obviously, you get approval for the concept, and then you just go madly into making it. So, finding all those people to make it happen. And what's another great thing about film clips is that you could often you're working with with friends and people. Uh, it, it's, it is a creative process, so you can draw a lot of people. So, for that, um, the people who were in the festival contributed like uh, a lot of the projections and things that you kind of see throughout it, or all the the film and the projectors that are in that room. Like all the lights that are on the ceiling, that became that was a it was a photograph that was Luke Steele's that he really liked that had a sort of a, a room that was like that. So that gets incorporated into the idea. Um, you find out that Luke Steele has an alter ego, so that gets incorporated into the idea. And then you suddenly need ten dancers and ten wedding dresses. And, um, yeah. So I guess yeah. So it, it really sort of it comes together in that week working with a lot of people. Um, and then you get to your one day where you have to, to shoot it all and hope to hell that everything goes well. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, of course, and then it, just the post-production process, depending on what some of those ones I saw earlier a lot more, have a lot more effects in post-production. So you're spending a lot more time on that, but something like this would just be 
it's just a straight cutting and um, even that's really fast as well. Like I've had clips where you literally be editing and then you might see on channel V or something where they're saying, and tonight we'll be showing you the new video by so-and-so and you I literally have to fly a clip down on a plane yourself because <laughs> it's the quickest way for it to get there. So yeah, I think that it's just, what I, what I, it's, it's a very kind of intense, fast and creative process and that's why I've always loved it so much. Yeah. Right. Can I actually just ask you when, you, when you deal with an artist like Luke Steele, who is obviously in his um, current project is known for su having such a sort of distinctive vision, do you normally have like a back and forth with the artist about what their image is or does that happen between you and the label or is that created I've, by I've other people? I've always been surprised about how like little actually will talk about someone's image when obviously it's so important. Like, um, well, yeah, you would think it's kind of what you're doing. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, I guess they assume that you'll be able to interpret that and that's what they're picking on but with um, with Luke no I guess it was like the fact that he what he said that he wanted he was really had to interpret that and we did three clips from that album and it we had some issues with the second one and like it, like literally the a feedback was to make it more um, I feel bad saying this but I'll just say it anyway uh, <laughs> but rattlesnake pie cocaine convertible and um, <laughs> Spanish girls hip, hiccuping was the famous line <laughs> So he had to take um, that feedback and bring it into the video. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but he's also a great, I, I found him really enjoyable to work with because he, he really just wanted to do something really creative interesting. So you get the bad and the good, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it, it's, it's my turn now. Um, uh, basically, I'm the Rage producer programmer for Saturday night, so I take care of the guest programmers and specials, and that's sort of the whole process. Um, when we hear someone's touring, we talk about whether or not we're going to get them to guest program, contact their manager or label, find out if they're av available, send them off the big Rage Red book, which is now an Excel spreadsheet, but was actually we used to have to print it out every week because our Rage Pals program couldn't talk to Excel and I think now is currently it's about the size of two phone books. Um, yeah, so it's quite cool. I've got like a lot of old ones hanging around my office and it's grown by about half an inch a year so it just gets fatter and fatter and now it's in two big folders. Um, and then we, I actually shoot, shoot the uh, links myself, watch the videos and uh, place them in an order I find pleasing. Um, <laughs> so it is quite um, fun to sort of take it through right from the, the start of the idea up until the end, until it goes to air. Um, Ray, just a little bit of a background, Ray has had guest programmers since the beginning of 1990 and it was actually Andrew Denton who was the first person to guest program. The second person was Amanda Brown from The Go-Between, so she's often considered um, you know, the, the first musician to have guest program Rage, which really uh, gets into what guest programming Rage is all about. It's sort of a really pure, and unadulterated sort of contact with that musician because they're in complete control of the show. They, they're the only person you see, there's no other compares, there's no other interviews, there's no other segments. It's just you, you know, on your couch in a dark room, watching somebody else on a couch in a dark room, talking about the things that they're really passionate about and things that, that have really inspired them. So um, that makes it a pretty interesting experience. A lot of bands are uh, are quite taken aback when you sort of bring them in and basically tell them that they can do anything they like. Um, that, you know, they used to sort of 
having interview questions or having to fit a particular format and basically we just lead them into the office, sit them on the couch, turn the lights on and go, and now just talk, do things. And <laughs> <laughs> it's quite, especially American bands are often um, very taken aback to find out you can swear on TV. So they get so excited, as you'll, you'll see actually there's a few <coughs> clips um, I'm about to play in a few moments of people getting very, very excited. Um, but yeah, we, that's, that's the thing, we always bring them in and tell them you're in complete control here. Yours is the only face people are going to see and you're going to program all the, mu all the music. And I actually think, I'm not 100% sure, rage is pretty rare around the world for the amount of uh, control we give over to our hosts. There are obviously a lot of places where bands interviewed or program a few tracks, but most of them have some kind of stipulation on fitting a particular image of the show or, or uh, talking to a particular compare to, to keep that brand, and Rage has always sort of stood back from that. So as a producer on that show, uh, my job is actually to remove myself from it as much as possible, just to try and get the bands to, or artists to behave like they behave naturally, get them to talk the way they talk, and get them to pick the music that they really love, even if it is something that they're sort of secretly ashamed of or feel is really daggy. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the nicest things, because it, Rage is now getting to that vintage where a lot of contemporary Australian musicians uh, like, like us have sort of grown up watching it, um, most of the time when they come in, they're always really, really excited and sort of, it's like, this was my biggest, our biggest goal as a band, <laughs> was to get to program Rage. And one group, I, I think it was kind of, I'm not entirely sure, apparently they used to break up their what do we call our band arguments with, like, every, you know, you sort of hang around for ages talking about what you're going to call your band, and when they got bored of that discussion, would flick over to what are we going to program when we get to program <laughs> rage, and then flick back to, to what they were going to call their band. So that's, that's kind of nice to actually, um, when we do bring people in, they're mainly really, really excited to be there. Um, and we do get people who really take that sort of do-anything approach to, to extremes. Uh, I shot a guest programming with Amanda Palmer, who used to be in a band called the Dresden Dolls, but now she's a solo artist back in February. And I ended up, her playing was late, so we ended up doing it at her hotel room, like 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, and she answered the door in a towel and sort of got changed into different outfits in every shoot. And half of the links are actually just her in her underwear playing songs <laughs> on a ukulele. Just doing a little song going, okay, that was a Brido song. Here's another Brido song. And can we walk around the cross and just talk to people? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Why not? Um, so it's really fun to work with in that perspective. And most of the, the guests really seem to enjoy that as well. Um, a lot of people sort of seem to be curious into what we look for when we're picking a guest host. And it's, it's a pretty broad palette. Um, obviously, you want to pick people who make interesting choices. So where you know, you're, you're often on the lookout for someone whose music might might sort of skew a little bit or, sh you know, show a few different influences. So you think that they might pick something a little bit out of the ordinary and that is always sort of a nice moment when you find out that, you know, Meatloaf is a big Lady Gaga fan or, you know, a, a band that you sort of expected... Pardon? Everyone loves MJ. It's just the rules. Um, and we had, we had Justin Vernon from Bon Iver, who makes, I don't know if you all know him, who makes sort of very sweet, contemplative music. And it was just all 90s hip-hop and Blink-182. <laughs> um, so that, that's always like a really, really interesting experience. Um, 
and we think about whether or not they're good talent, whether or not they're going to be able to tell good stories. You know, I spend a lot of time on YouTube watching other things they've done or going to gigs to see if they talk to the audience or are they going to be very quiet and sort of sitting there with their list. And, and, and we have those people too. Um, you know, nerds are a big part of the music industry and we like to embrace that. Um, and we also look at people that tend to make pretty interesting music videos on their own because you kind of think that they might have a bit of a visual sense or, you know, hopefully they've been inspired by a lot of music videos. And we do have hosts that kind of run the full spectrum of some people are complete music obsessives and rather than send me a list, will send me a link to their blog that they make about music videos. Um, and some people who program going, I really love this song. I've never seen the video, but I'm sure it's really good. So here it is. Um, so there's sort of a lot of room for them to behave however it is they behave. Um, recently, uh, some of you might have noticed, uh, the first 15, maybe even, yeah, the first 15 or so years of Rage, um, most of our guest programmers were either musicians or TV personalities. Obviously, we've had um, Andrew Denton, uh, John came in recently, um, Triple J presenters have also guest programmed the show. But in the past couple of years, we've actually tried to kind of broaden our scope a little bit for what we think makes a Rage guest host. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons. Partly is just, uh, you know, to sort of shake things up a little bit, although shaking things up with a program like Rage <laughs> is always a very sort of delicate thing because what people like about it is that it hasn't really changed. So, you know, you kind of want to involve new ideas, but just very, very slowly <laughs> and don't make any sudden movements. Um, so we've started to sort of invite a few different kinds of people. Um, in the past year, we've had uh, Jeanette Beckman, who is an English photographer guest program. She was one of the first people to, to um, photograph the Sex Pistols and Susie and the Banshees and then moved to New York from London where she was um, living there in the 80s and was part of the whole sort of birth of hip-hop scene. So she had great stories about Grandmaster Flash and, you know, living on the same street as Boy George and watching him shoplift all his clothes from Vivian Westwood. <laughs> um, we also have Richard Lowenstein, who is a music video director, who, uh, yeah, who made a lot of, um, a lot of the In Excess uh, music videos. And... And just quite recently, it hasn't actually gone to air yet, but a couple of weeks ago when Brett Easton Ellis, the writer of Less Than Zero on American Psycho, was in Australia um, for the Byron <laughs> Writers Festival, we shot a guest program with him as well, which was really... If you're familiar with his books, he sort of tends to have, like, a page and a half about Huey Lewis and the news and then a really intense murder and rape scene and then back to Huey Lewis and the news. Um, so I was curious to find out... We were sort of curious to find out how his musical tastes would run... Um, he doesn't actually like Huey Lewis and the News at all, but he did think Don Henley, Boys of Summer, is the greatest song and music video ever made. Um, so that was it. And also he liked Natalie Imbruglia and, and Madonna a lot, so that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, and so those uh, hosts that aren't musicians, obviously, you know, musicians are kind of where the history of the guest programmer lies because they are talking about their influences and often they'll get very nerdy and right down to the nitty-gritty of going, well, this is this, the first song I listened where I thought about drumming in this particular time signature, um, which is great to hear, but it's also really nice to hear from other people who photograph bands or make music videos or, um, or write about music just to, to bring in a different perspective because everyone sort of hears music and I guess to a certain extent sees clips in a slightly different way. So it's nice to have those... Um, 
there's different voices there. And we do have a, a bit of a wish list. Uh, some of them are crazier than others. I went through a phase last year of um, trying to get Jermaine Greer to guest program <laughs> because I sort of had this fantasy of her on the couch talking about Beyonce's single ladies and I really <laughs> tried to make it happen. Um, but as, as yet, she has, she has not done it. So if any of you know her, feel free to, you know, I'm still keen. Um, and you've obviously got, like, your list of musicians that you just jump over anything to have, have on the show. I think, I think mine currently stands at sort of a David Bowie, Prince and Madonna. They're the sort of people that whenever you hear them doing anything, you're kind of like, I will fly over there whenever. Um, yeah. Um, and we're also, like, sort of got a bit of a wish list of directors we'd like to have on. Obviously, people obsess over Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry's videos. Um, but a, uh, another one that I've been chasing for a little while is um, Russell Mulcahy, who... Uh, made a Highlander and is currently making a shark movie. Um, but he's, he made a lot of music videos in the 80s and is best known for making the Total Eclipse of the Heart video. Um, so given that the whole literal version of that video has been so, so well known now, I'm really trying to get him on so we can just, on behalf of the nation, go, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully that one will happen. Um, yeah, and I just wanted to say, I've got some clips to play you. Uh, there's, I guess there's a bit of a preconception that a lot of musicians are, go musicians are going to be really, um, you know, really drunk and really late and really arrogant and really rock starish. And by and large, that's not really the case. Most people are really nice and most people are kind of excited that they just get to sit there and talk about things they like. Um, that being said, we have had a few weird musician moments. Um, I was telling John and SJ earlier, we had Xavier Rudd come into guest program a little while ago and uh, that hasn't gone to air yet either. And the first thing he said to us, um, his manager brought him in and was talking about how that there were a lot of really crazy people out that the night before and he thought it was the full moon. And so the first thing Xavier <laughs> said to Sophie and I was like, I always find like women, like the flow comes through in the full moon. Is that happen with you guys? Do you guys have your periods? <laughs> I think we were both just a bit shocked yeah. about that. Um, and we've also got one from uh, a clip I'm going to show you from uh, Alison Mosshart from the, the Kills who had just done um, like a version up at Triple J and had to stop recording quite a few times so she could go and throw up because they'd been out all the night before. And if you actually... We did end up managing to put it to air even though we only shot half the things we were supposed to. But if you actually watch it, there's moments where you can see it go <laughs> and sort of bend over. So yeah, we can just watch some of these are some of the biggest like rock star, most obnoxious rock star behaviour we've seen I've seen so far. Hi, we're the Kills, and um, we're we're uh, we've sorted out a load of videos for you to watch on Rage. I think there's 13. It's a magic number, and. Um, yeah, these are our choices off the top of our heads. From our hearts. And our legs. And our legs. The next pick is um, Prince, Get Off. So I, I went oh, to... Right. Uh, <laughs> Hi, this is Meatloaf. And you're watching Rage! Make sure you go to the toilet, because I don't want anyone walking off. Because I will, I will know, I will know. I can sense when people walk up and go to the toilet. 
Make sure your bladder's empty. It's all about 23 positions in a one-night stand. It was a fun time just showing all these girls all what these the different... What the shit, you know, yeah. you do. Like, but this I, of, I always, wait, isn't this what, like, that... Pull it. Pull it. Pull it. No, 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 don't do it. Pull it. Just pull it. No, I mean it, Melissa. Hurt me. Come on now. I need you to hurt me, Melissa. God, please. Pull the heel. Come on. All right, this next video... It's like my favorite song of all time, my favorite video, Bombs Over Baghdad, Outcast. My favorite group, too. Bombs Over Baghdad. Bye. Hi, <laughs> I'm Amanda Palmer, and you're watching Rage. Hey, everybody, this is Marky Ramon, and you are watching Rage, and I am programming a lot of the videos tonight. You know those bands that get interviewed on shows like this and they're really cool and they like compete to see how little they care and they answer with like three words max and then as the interview goes on like they just end up like this and they're all like oh my god I'm touring so hard and my life is so hard and I'm just a rock star and they end up answering questions like Scout Niblet Scout Niblet she's like video there's called Kiss. She's very much like a sort of, if you could imagine Kirk Cobain in a small girl. Yeah. Oh no, that sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sexy and rock and roll. I'm so indie. Where's my people mover? Where's my fucking people mover? Uh, fuck yeah, fuck. Fuck, bitch, fuck, bitch, fuck, 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 this next one. Fuck, nah, fuck. nah, this one. This one. This one. This one. And uh, the actually, one after that. 50 that of them. No, that one. That last one. Fuck. Oh, oh. Fuck. Since you've been gone, I can do whatever I want. I can see the <laughs> Uh, 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 I can eat my dinner in a fancy restaurant. Oh, nothing. <laughs> and say nothing can take away this blood. Thank you. Don't be grossed out, kids. You're not gonna be grossed out. It's hot. So this, at this point, we, uh, we wanted to sort of throw things over to one of our recent guest programmers. Oh yeah, I thought I'd start by showing you, because um, I think I've also been invited because I keep on pranking Rage. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I'd show you uh, a thing. Yes. Clip is trying to pass itself off as art, but a five-year-old kid could have shot it. Here, the camera goes there, the lighting's all wrong, there's no real story. In fact, forget the five-year-old kid. I reckon a dog could get a video on Rage. To test his theory, we strapped a video camera to the top of my friend's dog's head. His name's Forrest. And we're going to let him frolic about 
in a totally random and mindless way without a thought going through his head whatsoever. Or as it's called in the industry, direct a video. I mix some of Forrest's panting with a bit of waxing and scratching on this Mixman program that came free with this lame-ass hip-hop CD that I unfortunately got caught up in the moment and bought because it came in a cool blue plastic cover. I've converted the tape to the Betacam format as specified by Rage and now it's off to GPO Box 9994 Sydney 2001. And every week, you can check the Rage website where they post the up-and-coming playlist for that Friday and Saturday. Here you go, Forrest. 5am. Just after Set You Free 2001 Remix by Entrance and just before Roots Maneuver and Janet Jackson, there's you, The Forest Frolic, by Forrest. Rage. That's Entrance. I think we're going to be up next. video clip director. You're Spike Jones, but you're a dog. So if you're in a band and some fancy pants video clip director wants to charge you more than say four bucks, you tell him, back in your box, you can easily be replaced by a Jack Russell, a Springer Spaniel, and possibly even an Axolotl. That was actually the second time we did something like that. I did, I did it with a, a six-year-old girl for this pilot, where like the idea was, you know, a six-year-old girl could direct a video clip, and <laughs> but the, the pilot never went to air. So yeah, we redid it with a dog. But I, I actually, I, I filmed that. I felt when I was filming that show for Music Gambry, a lot of the directors we had lots of different directors. Like we even had, we had Richard Lowenstein, who'd done all the NXS clips, and this girl called Kerry Light, and this guy called Craig Melville. And Kerry Light, she was like a bit angry at that because she was like, oh, you you know, we have a hard enough time trying to get a budget out of the, out of the, you know, EMI and all that stuff like that. And you're just perpetuating this thing and stuff. So then I, to kind of make it up to her, I did this uh, music mold thing where I talked about, you know, how, you know, poor video directors are. They're like the, star the starving <laughs> Ethiopians of, of inner city Melbourne. And then she was happy again. But um, I, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I guess program rage. I think I kind of blew it though, because I was like too, um, no, you're good. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, but like I, I, I wish, I, because I was all confused. <laughs> because you can, I was thinking I can either do two things. I can either get heaps of novelty tracks and that can be my curation or I should get like really old hip hop and do that as my curation, but I got kind of all, all muddled and stuff like that. You did I was, pick stutter rap though, I think. Yeah, yeah, which, I picked stutter rap. Both, both categories. Yes, yes, yes. I remember Rage from when I was a kitty because I'm really old. And um, it was like before the internet and um, there was like no, um, there was just no, no hip hop anywhere except on Rage. And um, yeah, it, 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 when, when I was young, I was always suspicious that like people from the 60s like we're lying, like when, when they kind of, you know, like everyone, when I was like growing up, everyone was like, it was all this implicit thing that oh, everyone was marching with Martin Luther King and taking LSD and sort of, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, you really find out that most people just stayed at home and, 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 and like the Seekers was the biggest concert of the 60s, you know, <laughs> in, in Australia. And like I've noticed now that I'm getting older, like there's this, bit, this total revisionism about like, uh, history, like yeah, like like when I was young, like no one played any rap anywhere except for Rage, and um, even like alternative outlets, like um, you know, like whatever. I don't want to you know, bag, you know, but you know, community radio and stuff. They were like even worse than mainstream because there was all this puritanical thing about music. Like things like drum machines were um, considered like that was an issue. Like really, so you like you wouldn't you wouldn't hear rap on, you know, uh, on public radio stations. Because it was like, oh, you know, real music has proper drums and, you know, it's got guitars and stuff like that. So that's what I always remember about Rage, was it the only place that played rap. So good on you. Because <laughs> <laughs> the only other option you had if you're into rap before the internet was going down to Central Station Records in Melbourne... Uh, city square where like and they knew they had you because like you had no other options there was no, yeah so yeah and you'd have to like spend 30 bucks on a 12 inch and stuff like that so yeah that was a, a good thing what else can i tell you about what do you want to know about music videos i, I guess i'd like to see forrest's you know the rest of his work like, oh yeah sure richard Lornstein was actually he was really furious i i um i'm yeah i i in my work i work with a lot of bitter people and and <laughs> and what, what he was really bitter about within excess and apparently this was the recurring thing that happened to australian video clip directors was that um when a band was starting out and they kind of it was like hey man you know just cut corn like do it on the cheap and stuff like that and then he delivered the goods so he was like he did like need you tonight and all, all these other ones that were from that kick album that just look amazing and he like did them for like nothing and just you know whatever and then it got then it was like the big payoff it's like in excess blow up and they become the biggest band in the world and then it's like for their next album it's like richard doesn't get the like oh okay now now here's a million dollars to do it it's like oh yeah we're going over to actually britain to get a proper video clip director to do it <laughs> and apparently that always happens to australian video clip directors is that true yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess the budgets don't go near, like, the highest... I mean, they, they still go up to $100,000, I think, when they're, like, Australian Idol people or that type of thing, but, um, like, the indie sector is definitely... It's, like, below 40000 maybe, or something, I think. Well, but, yeah, so if we're going to go over that, they definitely would get someone from Britain or um, US, I think. Yeah, when we were doing um, Music Jamboree, like, there was a lot of deconstruction of how you make a video clip, even, like, because, like, we are doing parody clips which you obviously have to do really cheaply, but trying to recreate the look of a real expensive clip. And you start seeing, learning all the uh, little tricks. Like one, one thing is like, if you, if you ever see like 
the, uh, when I did that show, like Britney Spears was a big thing, and then there were all these like Australian versions of Britney Spears, like you know, pop scandalous and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bardo and stuff like that. And you always notice that in the American version, there's all these like great wide shots of yep. sort of like Britney Spears there, sort of like out in, in, in a Thunderdome or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then in the Australian, ver the, and then they'd have close-ups of Britney Spears, and then in the Australian versions, there was always... Just the close-ups. Yeah, just the close-ups. <laughs> and they'd, they'd, there'd be this whole sort of like video clip where we're going, this looks like Britney Spears, there's something Amazing. wrong here I can't put my finger in. <laughs> and it's like there's, there's not one wide shot in it, because if you even like went a metre wide, you just yeah. see sort of like, you know, so the sticky tape <laughs> holding the whole, holding the whole yeah. thing up. And uh, oh, the other thing I learned about video clips was um, that you don't have to know how to dance to look like you know how to dance. <laughs> because we, we did this video clip called Jewtown, which was like sort of sending up um, sync and all that stuff like that. And all you have to do is you, you just have to learn like one... Make the cuts really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, 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 every single dance move, you just do one, like yep, there, yep. and then you do there, cut, and then you do <laughs> there, cut, and, you, and it's all different things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when it comes together, like I looked amazing, I was like... Doo, 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 you know, I was, <laughs> I was like ju Justin Timberlake, it was great. People um, that saw Britney Spears' latest concert would actually testify to that. She oh, does really? look like she can dance in music videos <laughs> and then the concert is just her being wheeled around stage in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, that's, that's what the concert was. And um, what else? Have I, I've always, I, I, I really, I, I, like my biggest like blown opportunity was that um, Midnight Juggernauts, before they were famous, were always annoying me to do stuff. <laughs> And I never, like, I was like, I brushed them off because, like, you know, I'll amount to nothing and go nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, because the guy in, in another skit on that show, we did a send-up of an Eminem uh, a song, um, Stan, where we did this whole Dr. Zeus, Sam, I am type thing. And anyway, and the, and the fox in socks gets chased around by me in the chainsaw. And the guy in the, oh, there it is. The guy in the fox in socks outfit is actually the lead singer of the... Midnight Juggernauts when he was just like making coffee for me on this show. <laughs> and that's when he like offered me at the start of his, you know, like, oh, John, can you please just do me a favour, seeing I'm such a little guy, and help me and direct me. And I was like, no, oh, no, there you go. Forrest could have made their first yes, video. Yes, Forrest could have made the first, their first video. Um, what else do I know about video clips? <laughs> <laughs> um, or what else do you want to know? Or anything? We want volume. <laughs> we want volume. Should we watch the rest of this one? Should we turn up the... Can we turn up the volume?
different takes. The kids weren't in the room when I stuck my finger up. <laughs> so I know you're all going to turn on me. Yeah, um, so the, the, yeah, every single person who's like an extra in that was like just someone on the crew and I, it was like the luckiest break that like the, the, the makeup woman just like died of. So yeah, <laughs> so that was pretty handy. And, and yeah, my director's always, um, the guy who directed that, this guy called Craig Melville and he's done lots of clips for Tism and um, he's directed a lot of my shows. He also directs um, like Lawrence Lung and uh, Chaser stuff or whatever. And yeah, it's always fun. He's, he's pretty obsessive. He draws up these storyboards and he puts so much prep into kind of, yeah, because you have to make something that costs like half a million dollars on like whatever, <laughs> $500. Well, so. I'd love to hear you talk, oh, you mentioned the music model before. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Sort of explain, you know, the concept oh, the, of it. And oh, the music, yeah, yeah. That, that was, well, doing this, um, when, when I was researching for the show Music um, Jamboree, where it was all meant to be about the what happens, the machinations behind the scenes of the music industry, and people would tell me all this stuff, and then, but we, um, they'll go, oh, listen, I can't come on camera and talk about it, and you know, it was all about everything from you to don't pay any tax to, you know, um, artists are ripped off because of this and that reason or whatever. So. Yeah, we came up with this idea, the music mole, where it was going to be like a music industry insider and he's dressed in a mole outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm dressed like some guy from Wind in the Willows. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never read Wind in the I didn't even quite know what, you know, I just kind of had some vague things. Yeah. But then, um, yeah, it sort of came together because it was like directed really classily by uh, Kerry Light, another music video director. And what do yeah, when we just yeah, we, we just learnt basically that artists are just ripped off all the time and what you have to do and like youth group, how they screwed up because their hit they didn't write. Oh uh, yeah, the straightforward. Yeah, for, for, for yeah, forever yeah, young. young. Yeah, if you're a yeah. band, just don't do a cover version. Yeah, yeah. Or because you you just won't make money. That's my little tip. <laughs> <laughs> um well, what, what about Jew Town? Can we see that? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I really want to see it. <laughs> okay, you can see me dance in that if you want. <laughs> Can you can you do a, a demo for us? <laughs> <laughs> Slow mo first. You can laugh at Kristen Rock, but you're only making God angrier. And Christ is only going to turn the other cheek so much at your smart ass comments before he slaps you upside your head. So how did all this Jesus pop come to pass? A nun from a Belgian religious order, Sister Janine Decker, took the name the Singing Nun and hit number one in the USA in 1963 with Dominique. She was a controversial nun. Another of her songs was Glory Be to God for the Golden Pill, a pro-birth control anthem. Australia had its own guitar strumming nun. In 1974, Sister Janet Mead hit number three in Australia and number four in America with the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you think the Christian record industry consists of little more than a couple of Bible story cassettes at the Catholic bookshop, you're way off the mark. 
In the year 2000, Christian music accounted for 7% of sales in the American music industry. That's 747 million US dollars. Australia also has its finger in the pie, or loaf if you will. Queensland's newsboys don't make it to video hits too often, but they always make it to the BRW rich list. In 1999, they grossed more than ACDC and Silverchair combined. All the major labels from Sony to Virgin EMI have Christian music divisions. There's DC Talk with Jesus Freak. There's Super Chick and their pro abstinence song, Barlow Girls. Then there's Jump 5 with Spinning Around, going for the Christian S Club 7 angle. And cute boy band Plus One with God is in this place. Clearly the Christians are onto a good thing. So why aren't other religious denominations getting with the program? I decided to get my own boy band together, Jewtown, with their debut single, Down to Jewtown. There's cap up on my skull I see the Bible said to put one there So I won't go to hell And people step up to me And they tell me it is big But if the who's ain't split then it ain't legit And that's how I choose to live In a world of non-believers Who drive on Saturday Don't forget it's our day of rest On when the right past just turn away I'm not some big old rabbi In a black hat and a gown we are the youth, we can make a change. It's time to get on down. I'm going down, 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 down to Jewtown. What I gotta do now? Down to Jewtown. I'm going down, 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 down to Jewtown. Gotta be true now. Head down to Jewtown. Complicated, it's the Hebrew alphabet. And Christians wanna ask me how you different to our people. I say I like Bible number one, but I will not touch a sequel. I can do the, the, the push-up thing. I knew how to... Did you see that when I jumped around there? 
because I, I used yeah. to do that non-ironically when oh. I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> what about the singing? Was that really you singing? Huh? Well, it, people watch the Eminem thing and they go, oh my, you know, such a, even though, you know, you're a bit, you're not, you don't sing as well, like it's, it's such an accurate kind of, you know, a parody yeah. or whatever, but it's only because like, Eminem squeaky, and I'm squeaky. <laughs> so it's like that's the only crossover. Besides that, it's like, yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, no. It's Was that you though? Nah. No, no. okay. <laughs> I couldn't quite tell. You're specifically parroting squeak, squeaky yeah. artists. Well, that's not real at all. Um, do we want to talk a bit about specials? Yeah, uh, well. And well, then we can have a Q&A a bit. We can all yeah. quiz, quiz you both about how. Your dance moves. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of obviously most of the time Saturday night is a guest programmer, but we do actually um, screen other specials as well. And sometimes it's sort of as vague as a broad concept. Uh, I think one of our most popular ones last year was when we played videos that had what we thought to be the best hairstyles in music. Um, but our probably like our biggest special uh, sort of period during the the, uh, the year is January, where every Saturday night um, is Retro Month. And this kind of started uh, a, about a decade or so ago, maybe a bit longer, when um, because that's the, the summer touring festival, that's when all the bands are out here. So you normally shoot it, you know, you, instead of shooting sort of one guest programmer a week, you often shoot four in a day for three days straight on the day before and after the big day out or something. And so in order to sort of take the pressure off the programmers, they decided to rescreen old episodes of ABC TV shows. And even though it started out as something that was sort of originally created to, to make, make life, life easier, easier. <laughs> <laughs> kind of changed. Oh, <laughs> um, it's actually been sort of hugely popular. Um, every, most people are familiar with Countdown, but the ABC's actually had uh, music TV shows going back to the late 50s. And so there's sort of a huge archive of a lot of really cool sort of moments in music history. There's the first time Split Ends was on TV, and I think Blondie were actually first on TV um, on Countdown in Australia. Uh, so there's this massive, massive archive of stuff to, um, to pick from and program, and I'm gonna show you a couple of clips in a moment, but um, one of the, the uh, things which is both the challenges and the benefits of this system is, um, I think a lot of people sort of envision that archives or rage would be the sort of really well organized thing and everything's digital <laughs> and it's actually uh, boxes in every ABC around Australia uh, some of them we know what's in them some of them we don't which more recent shows like recovery or triple JTV or I even towards the sort of latter end of countdown revolution we've got a fair idea of who was on what show and when and what they did on it but before that we're really stabbing around in the dark so to um, Programming involves talking to archivists whose job it is literally to unearth these boxes and watch the tapes and find yeah. out what's on them. So occasionally we'll get a call from sort of a very, very excited nerd who realises <laughs> he's found the, you know, the only live performance of Duran Duran in this particular year or something. Um, uh, so there's constantly sort of, we're constantly finding new things that we thought had been lost, which, um, which is pretty exciting. And a couple of things I wanted to show for you was this is, um, an a interview from a show called GTK, which was on in the early 70s, and it's uh, e Easy Beats had just done their first overseas tour and had just come back to Australia. Um. Dolls Hound. George House is a trip. Oh, that was really nice. Yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, 
Jones, how have things been in England over the last couple of years? Uh, how do you mean, how have things been? What well, been? since you, you're in Australia in 67, um, yeah. how's the group progressed since then? Progressed? Yeah. Well, being in England, we've taken in a lot of influences. <laughs> Alcohol. <laughs> uh, no, we've, we've sort of... I guess we must have sort of naturally progressed. I don't know, we don't want to say we've progressed unnaturally. How are the Australian groups that are going overseas, like the Lardy Dars and the Groove Fairing? Oh, well, they're, unfortunately, they're in, in a bad position of um, going over there blind, you know, just without any sort of preparation, you know. That's the only, they're very good, there's nothing, the Lardy Dars are a very good group, but it's a very sort of big scene, you know, it's, unfortunately, it's not how good you are, you know, I don't think. So they're being mismanaged virtually. Well, they're not, they're not being managed at all. You see, they went over there on their, their own sort of thing. George, is this what you're doing with your company? Is it managing Australian groups and that are going over there? No, it's uh, it's managing anybody with talent. When you see so many people around England, good songwriters, groups, singers that have a lot of talent but never get the chance to get somewhere. We just we just like to give them this chance. I got talent. Yeah, no. He's So, one of the really interesting things about seeing older stuff is um, how often they're talking about the exact same issues that people talk about in, in music interviews now. So, you know, the cultural cringe issue and Australian bands being able to make money was, was an issue even then. And um, we've also found things like Daryl Braithwaite doing a piece on piracy and how cassettes were going to ruin the industry. <laughs> <laughs> and a report on hi-fi equipment where people were talking about how, uh, you know, you could get a new tape player for as cheaply as eight or nine hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, one other thing I wanted to show you was from a show called Weekend Magazine back in 1964. It wasn't actually specifically a, a music show, it was more like a, a broad-based arts show, but they did a little piece on, um, on what the kids were doing these days and listening to pop music. <laughs> It's lunchtime in Melbourne. For two hours, as many as 1,000 teenagers will crowd into the cavern to dance the Mods Nod. young Melbourne people who spend the weekday lunch hours at the cabin feel that it refreshes them for the afternoon's work. Even those who can't come in agree with the proprietor of the club, Mr Victor Catchland, that it's been a great success. Um, for the record, I think all music shows should still have that voiceover. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, so those are some of the things we've sort of unearthed recently and put to air during uh, January. And it's, um, I get, it's something that you sort of uh, brought to think about often when you're dealing with material that old is that was before the internet and before everything ended up on DVD. So a lot of it was broadcast once in the 60s or 70s and has 
never seen the light of day since. since so yeah. it's fun Pretty to be exciting. able to, to have a place <laughs> for that to go. But um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. So we've still got endless Many countdown episodes to play. Ahead. <laughs> okay, well, um, I guess we should, should we open it up to some Q&A? Yeah. yeah? left to our own devices quite a lot which is fun but also sometimes can be quite disturbing because you do kind of think <laughs> if I develop wonder, a weird obsession with a particular Yeah, band, would anyone stop me? <laughs> um, so we're open to bribery. Um, there isn't really, I mean, I guess there's always a, a consciousness that yeah. um, it, is, it does fit the, the broad parameters of youth TV. So, you know, it can be very easy, especially when so many um, retro acts now you know it used to sort of every year there's sort of 10 amazing acts that have reformed from the 70s or 80s that are touring and it's very tempting just to sort of go oh well, let's just have a happy Mondays guest program and then we'll do the fixies and then yeah. and then pavement will come on and it'll just be like the 90s and I'm <laughs> in high school again um, <laughs> but uh, yes yeah, so like, there, I guess there's a consciousness that we need to be uh, aware of what the kids are up to these yeah days. I guess um, yeah, we do have um, a two-hour slot on Saturday morning where we program mostly kind of hits and hits and new is what we call it, and it is hits and new. Um, it's kind of a lot of the the charting stuff that that the kids like will yeah. like. But um, but other than that, we're yeah we're pretty much left to our own devices. I mean, we play we play most of the new stuff that we get in, and that can cover all kinds of different genres and tastes and and all of it is, is appreciated by someone out there, so <laughs> it's good to play all of it. And we do okay, the stuff that's really bad or really weird, I specifically program around 3.30 in the morning, so I think it's gonna freak out anyone that's watching it who's high or drunk. Yeah, Magic Sally, yeah. you've been watching lately. <laughs> yeah, if you turn on at 4 a.m. you might get a bit freaked out, but. Mm. That's when we put in like the eight minute videos that are just like a close up of a guy screaming or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets played. Yes. <laughs> It's pretty, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Um, we do try and keep the show as pure as possible. We have one super minimal as possible. We, we try not to clutter the frame. Um, I mean, th there is also an upside to us because we still are literally going to air tape to tape. Uh, we can't. Um, <laughs> so it's not like we lay, I think a lot of um, music shows these days would all be laid down on a timeline and then they can cut things out or they can um, do dissolves or send like have a lot of um, imagery on the screen and we technically can't do that but we do actually 
we do make a conscious effort to try to minimise how much we change a clip. I mean, if we have to do an edit on a clip because there's some branding or, or something like that, um, our technical producers spend a lot of time and effort making sure that it, it changes the clip in the most minimal way, um, even if it's something like I'm, one of our technical producers has spent eight hours making sure that a logo has been removed, but that you can't see that the logo has been removed. And it, you know, every every frame it was moving around the screen, and so it took him ages, just every single frame, to get rid of that logo. So um, we do probably, I, I wouldn't say spend too much time, we, but we do make a, a big effort to try to keep things as we receive them. Because we're on the ABC, we're not allowed to show heavily branded things. So especially in a lot of pop videos, you'll see sort of some people dancing and then they'll get out their Sony Ericsson phone and take a picture yeah, of it. Yeah, it's and we, happening a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we have to remove them all. So I'm always curious to know if the people who've paid money to get their phone in an yeah, Australian music video it, are aware say, hey. that we just cut them right back out again. How often yeah. are you doing that? It's probably actually like 20, 10 to 15% of the videos. Yeah, it's wow. it kind of is increasing a yeah. bit. Mm. Um, I guess because of the times, I'm not sure, but yeah, we're getting a lot of clips with phones and people yeah. getting whipping their phone out and taking photos of themselves. Just not even, they're not even trying to hide it in the clip anymore. It's quite obvious, like it's the beginning of a clip will be, you know, the music hasn't even started. It'll be like someone whipping a phone out and taking a photo of themselves and it has nothing to do with the clip. But we still include it. We'll just get rid of the logo. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it is happening do it on their non-brand specific phones <laughs> and just But not only that, I mean, if we do have to, if, if there's a, an excellent clip that an indie band's provided to us and, and there's just one tiny little thing in it which changes its classification from PG to J and we, we want to play it in the morning because it's such a great clip, we will do an edit on it, but we'll just try to make that really subtle edit, so it, so it is something that we, we're really conscious it of. Is, mm. It is weird, I remember one that was a Super Jesus clip and the only thing bad in it was, it was a take of Rumblefish, so there's like a big fight and it's set in the 50s, but the guy bleeds, it's very soft, but it ha we had red blood in a black and white video, and video heads would not yeah. play that, we yeah. had to actually make Blood's it a big thing, or even just blood. red things that, <laughs> that, that look like blood, like if yeah. someone's, like recently playing paintball, and it's obvious they're playing paintball, but it's red paint. We know that's something that everyone's really conscious of. So, oh, and you do often find yourself yeah. having really bizarre discussions um, <laughs> with our classifiers, who basically we classify most things ourselves, but sometimes we sort of refer it upwards if we're not sure. And um, there was one video; it was a Mates of State video where there was a giant bunny rabbit riding a bicycle, and the classification came back on that that it was PG because the bunny wasn't wearing a helmet. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, mean, you sort of go, well, in his defence, you know, he's a rabbit. <laughs> um, and there was a Missy Higgins video for um, Steer, I think, where she drives a car into a, a ship, cra yeah, crash, yeah, crashes the car yeah. and then comes out and everyone, and then the, the, the ruling on that one was that, that that couldn't be classified as G because, you know, kids are going to see that and think that you can crash a car and, and live. And so <laughs> our response to that was like, I'm worried that the under sixes are driving at all, yeah. regardless <laughs> of where they're getting their information on how to do it. So you do often have very weird discussions or, yeah. you know, we had a 20 year old work guy doing work experience lately and gave him a whole bunch of music videos in which girls were running around on the beach and asked him if he could look really carefully for nipples. <laughs> he thought all these Christmases would come at yeah. once. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit awkward watching Recently we had a work experience person in who was only 16 and I was sitting there watching clips with him and there was one 
which was five minutes long, um, Uncle, and it was just a naked lady pretty much the mm. whole five minutes. And I was like, watching this on our, on just us, we'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. But with, an, with a 16-year-old boy, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> suddenly this, this doesn't seem as right. It so was I guess really exciting to report to his year 10 teacher. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, sure. maybe you should close your eyes. I'm not sure if I should be letting you watch this. But, yeah, um, classification's a big thing. Yeah. I had a question for Sarah Jane. Um, yeah. Um, is it flattering when people like Roman Madison taking the piss out of Mr. Gibbons' scar? And um, just for the producers as well, how often do jobs come up that range? <laughs> <laughs> um, also, that was, I, I, someone told me about that and I had to actually mail them and beg to get a version of it because I hadn't seen it. So, yeah, he did a very good job and he looked quite likeness-y, I thought. <laughs> in the outfit, so. Yeah, it was just funny and it makes you realise how, well, you know how ridiculous the video concept is anyway, but he highlighted it perfectly. <laughs> um, as for jobs, I've, I've got no plans to leave you. you, you <laughs> Sorry, I'm not yeah. going anywhere anytime soon. Um, yeah, there's, there's sort of been probably a new person on every year or so for the past yeah. couple of years, but um, most of us have come from other ABC shows and stuff, so. Yeah, no, you can't have our jobs. We love them. <laughs> Everyone stop. <laughs> um, speaking of um, videos left in their original form, um, about two months ago, Rachel suddenly had an ABC One watermark, which has been devastating yep, yep, to we many need of to us. Um, is this likely to stick around for a long time, or is it? What is likely to happen? It was actually first put on as an accident, yeah. as a mistake. Um, but around the same time, ABC got a new ABC One controller, a new ABC Two controller, and a new ABC marketing manager. And there's sort of a general movement, not just within the ABC, but across all networks, to um, place more of an emphasis on branding the shows that go out. And uh, this has uh, come about as a result of that. Um, there's a general feeling that shows don't, um, people, channels don't have the same identity that they used to because, you know, things end up on YouTube, people tape them, people time shift, um, and people aren't always automatically aware of what show they're watching, which, which I know quite well because quite often we will get complaints from someone who has watched the blue in the face. They were watching Rage at yeah. 7 o'clock on a like Monday night and want to complain about something. And yeah, so I guess it... In to an extent yeah. that's happening. Yeah, so uh, there, um, there was a decision made to brand it. We're currently discuss discussing um, how we can maybe make that a little bit less intrusive. Um, we've sort of suggested potentially having a rage watermark instead of the ABC watermark or uh, minimising it, making it a different colour. At the moment it's blue and it's quite square. So uh, unfortunately it does seem that, um, that it will be watermarked in some yeah, sense. but. but People, people are talking and discussions yeah. are happening and we're taking on board. We've got a lot of feedback, um, maybe from some people here on our message <laughs> board. <laughs> um, and we're getting lots of letters and, and we are passing it all on and, and it's all really good to keep coming so that so the people who are discussing it can can know what everyone thinks. What people so think. I'm hoping that this watermark by <laughs> <laughs> By retro yeah, yeah well, I think it'd be a good idea if you were to have some kind of watermark, at least to have the rage watermark for the whole thing. Yeah. Yes. That would be better than a vile blue box on the side. Yeah, yeah. that's been yeah. suggested and we'll, yeah. yeah, it'll be on our website. It'll cool. be on, on air as soon as we know. Yeah. <laughs>
By the way, thanks for January to keep it going, because I've oh. been watching it since 93 when it started. It's great oh, that it's cool. still going on. Cool. Glad you like it. Uh, I was just wondering what editorial controls you put on guest programs. Like, do you ever sort of veto a video that they choose? And if you don't, do you? Because every third person seems to love Apex Twin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we actually don't put any editorial control on them. Um, I will, often if they get the list, I will occasionally mention to them if things get played a lot, especially um, Aphex Twin is a perfect example because in the States that's considered to be a really rare video because I don't think MTV will play it because it's too explicit. So they think they're bringing something really cool and rare out of the vaults and then you go, actually, it gets picked every week. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we do uh, mention that to them and if their heart's set on playing it, we'll continue to play it. But um, We've actually recently started getting to send in a slightly longer list and weeding out the videos that get played every week. Um, Daft Punk's Around the World is one. Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues is one. Um, yeah, so trying not to play the same videos every week. But on the whole, they can pretty much do whatever they want. Um, the, and the only other thing that I tend to sort of try and steer them away from is there's always sort of a point where the whole band's in the room and they're like, wouldn't it be funny if we like played every Hilary Duff video one after the other, ha, ha, ha. Wouldn't it be funny to think that we liked Harry Duff? Um, which is sort of funny for about 10 seconds, <laughs> and then you have the next 16 minutes of Hilary Duff videos to sit through. So I try and steer them away from picking things that, that they think are really bad because they think it'll be funny because people at home do actually have to sit through the videos after that. Can you source clips that aren't there in your archives? We can, like, we can call bands and call record labels, but, um, but yeah, a, a lot of older videos as, as well because labels aren't always very good at keeping a proper archive so there's a lot of things that they just aren't broadcast copy videos from and we're constantly getting calls from artists actually like I think the last one was Tim Rogers he didn't have any of their own clips their yeah. own clips <laughs> we're, we're um, nationals and so. you do dubs with people yeah it's good to know <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, can I, can I ask yeah not on the whole um Actually, I think occasionally when we get Australian bands in, they kind of seemed a bit weirded out to be in there at like 11 o'clock on a Tuesday morning because I think in their heads they've kind of thought that they'd come over at 11 o'clock on Saturday and night. <laughs> yeah, we'd all get really drunk and watch videos yeah. together. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so on the whole they don't. Um, occasionally they'll be unsure about something and so they'll be go, oh, there's this Weezer video I can't quite remember but it's the one with, you know, the Muppets or something and we'll sit there and watch a few until we know we've got the one they wanted to talk about. But um, unfortunately, we normally get somewhere between half an hour to an hour with the band and not the, the six hours that we'd need to, to watch all the videos. It'd be fun, though. Uh, yeah, uh, just, a, I guess, a bit more of a philosophical question. Uh, why have Rage now? Uh, there's YouTube, there's the internet, uh, there's Channel V, there's an infinity of media out there. Uh, what is it? that justifies having rage from your point of view? Well, it's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, justifies rage. Well, I guess you could say what justifies having any television content. Um. <laughs> the ABC could not afford to put in on in anything else, so that's probably something to consider. But um, we do have, um, we still have one of the largest music libraries in the world. Um, and it's far, especially in Australia, it's very unique for the diversity of, of material we have. A lot of older stuff isn't on YouTube and isn't on DVD. 
So that's something to think of as well. But I guess more and more with programming, it, it, it is a different environment now. It's not like when I started watching, like when I was a kid and you watch Rage with a videotape in the player and hit record every time a good song came on because that was the only way you could, you could see or collect videos. So now people do have YouTube. Um, I, don't, I think it makes us a bit freer with our programming though because you know, if there's something that's really, really big and we don't think it's particularly all that good, we'll play it a few times, but you, you sort of do get to go, okay, if, if, there's a, if there's a diehard Nickelback fan in Australia that wants to see their new video, we're not the only place. They can go to YouTube and watch yeah. it. We're going to play the things that we think are good and that you might not know about. Yeah, I guess that's another thing you might not know about. Um, mm. If you go to look something on YouTube, I guess a lot of the time you have to know what you're looking for or, or read. I guess somebody else suggesting you watch something. I think Rage, one of the best things is you could turn it on and just get a surprise, something you've never even heard about, something you probably never would have heard about and, and you might really enjoy it. So, And you can watch it drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Although that is something for the future, definitely. <laughs> it is changing, so. Rage may change in the future, yeah. as will most Quiet. television, I guess. <laughs> Anyway. Um, I think that brings us to a close for this evening, unless you have questions for the floor. Does anyone have, like, someone that they've been dying... Like, do you have a... I've told you my dream list for who I'd love to get on the show. Any, any of you guys want to throw out a suggestion? Oh, yeah, he is good. Yeah, I know. I think I remember saying, seeing him interview last time. That was Laneway last year. I don't think he's done the show though. Check. About our Oh, one day. <laughs> I, I will. I will fly to Minnesota <laughs> to make that. <laughs> We've actually never had a music critic on before. We've had radio um, broadcasters, but we we've talked about getting a critic. Um, and we've never really sort of found someone within Australia that we felt like, you know, had the, had both the credit and also the name. But um, he, yeah, if if he's in town, I would I would definitely yeah. be chasing him. She's done it a couple of times. She's actually there's there's a blooper of her in the video that we're going to play sort of at the end as a as a nice ending. But um, yeah, apparently she was really really nice. Uh, but she's kind of like an ice queen. You know, she comes in and. Her, Hair's all straight and her face is perfect and does everything perfect and then every now and then goes, that was crap. <laughs> Has Molly done it? Uh, I think he did it back in the early 90s, but not since then. Um, I, th I believe his his uh, other TV commitments preclude him from guest programming rage, to the best of my knowledge. Has Marco Ferrante ever? Because he's like got the most played video ever. Yeah. Drug of a Nation. The most played video yeah, ever. Yeah. Yes, he was. He was he was on beatboxing. Did he play his own video? Oh, we actually, I love that video. We actually always play all their own videos after the ones they've chosen and um, we normally get them to do an introduction to their videos and some most artists will go, It's really important that you know that I didn't pick this, they told me I had to play <laughs> mine. I'm not that arrogant. <laughs> Except so I mean whole wanted to do introductions for all of their videos. So they had like five minutes of them talking and three minutes of music and another eight <laughs> minutes of, you know, Courtney's acrobatics. <laughs> have you ever had like, like just a general act, like non-celebrity type 
There was there was a competition called Invade Rage a few years ago, um, where someone won a competition and uh, and um, and guest program Rage. But we ha we actually haven't had someone in the studio. But there was there was a competition called Six Degrees um, on over Easter where. Uh, every video was sort of connected to the one before it, so we play like the white stripes next to the kills because Jack White and Alison Mott's harder in a band together. And then on the, we published the playlist a week before and every sixth video was missing. So we had a competition to see if you could guess, guess the, um, the missing ones. And a guy called Nathan um, won and so programmed an hour a couple of weeks later of Saturday morning. It was really crazy out there stuff. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> Um, any chance that you could possibly get Roxon to program them here in February? That would just be amazing. Having Brian Ferry host. I'd be pretty keen on that as well. It's probably yeah, um, with, with artists like that, you sort of put out a lot of requests. Um, a lot of them sometimes are not that excited to do lots of promo because by the time they've gotten here, their their concerts are sold out. And you know they're sixty, so they're tired and need their naps. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So. It's it's often quite hard for us to get those big retro acts, but we do ask for most Put of the them. Put the requests out. Yeah, yeah. we see, beg. See who says yes. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I do want Jay Z. Yeah. Um, pardon. Yeah, I what the, he's a experimental sound artist, all right, isn't he? Or? Yeah, this is our executive producer's brother is a sound artist. Um, I, I would be concerned that some people might see that as nepotistic. Nepotism. <laughs> 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 well, I'll, I'll I'll talk to Kath about it, see if she wants to, you know, help a brother out. <laughs> I think, he, yeah. I'm, as far as I'm aware, he doesn't actually have any music videos though. No, I don't think. <laughs> That's like a year's worth of the show. We can take a holiday. We'll talk to Kath about it. it. <laughs> we'll get on our boss's good side. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <for> <laughs> Interesting. I think it, you know if someone quick video hits and came to rage. Um. Right. You should get Andrew G. is pretty obsessed with this whole thing that everyone thinks that he did Australian Idol that he that he doesn't know shit and he loves <laughs> he loves to kind of make, yeah. You should ask him. He'd oh, do it. That's great. There's, there's yeah. a wealth of suggestions yeah, here. <laughs> yeah. I hope you know, just would he could we place a ban on playing idle people or yeah. No, he wouldn't want it. Like, okay. I, 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 I played Scrabble with him way. a few times and he's always like saying this clunky stuff where I'm kind of, why are you telling me? And it's like, oh, you think I've got this preconception that you know <laughs> nothing about cool music, that's why you're telling me about that rare B-side by, you know. Yeah, right, he's yeah. just awkwardly name dropping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, that could be kind of interesting. Awkward people on Rage, that'd be new. <laughs> Remote, and it seems like it's inspired by rage. 